I'm Seth for Privacy, and thanks so much for joining us on the journey to sovereignty. We're beyond thrilled to have a place for us to chat about all things sovereignty, the why and how of reclaiming your digital sovereignty, and to give you all a chance to chime in, ask questions, and join the conversation. Journey to Sovereignty is brought to you by Foundation, where we build Bitcoin-centric tools that empower you to reclaim your digital sovereignty. This includes our Passport Hardware Wallet and Envoy mobile app. So as always, I'm joined by Bitcoin Q&A, Head of Customer Experience here at Foundation, and our CEO and co-founder, Zach Herbert. How's it going, guys? Doing well. Yeah, nice to be back after a slightly extended hiatus due to uh, the Miami conference. So hope you guys have uh, got your feet firmly back on uh, on planet Earth after the madness that ensued over there. And uh, yeah, looking forward to diving in. Yeah, I'm doing great as well. Uh, I think this is my first uh, journey to sovereignty in a, possibly a couple months, which is kind of embarrassing. So uh, excited to be back on. Yeah, we fin- finally roped you back in. So I think it has been at least a couple months since we do these every other week. It, it it adds up quickly if you miss. So glad to have you back and and jumping in and chatting through all this all this fun stuff. Um, so obviously we had the the amazing timing of Ledger's recover service announcement last week. While we already had a price drop planned, we had Envoy as a mobile wallet launch planned, and we had the Bitcoin Miami conference going on last week. So. A crazy amount of things happening, um, and we'll we'll unpack a little bit of the ledger recover stuff first, just because that kind of lays the groundwork for a lot of the the rush to free and open source software and hardware that we've seen. Um, so, a really quick overview for those who haven't kept up with the ledger news. So, Ledger announced a subscription service, ten dollars a month. You give over all of your KYC info, like your ID. You do a, a video selfie of you. Uh, you use this to create an account for this new service. And what happens is when you confirm this new service on your Ledger Nano X, it actually encrypts the seed on your Ledger Nano X and uploads it in three shards to different service providers uh, run by Ledger. So obviously the, the quick thing to get out of the way is that all of this is closed source, so we have no way to verify how any of this works. Um, but essentially, this is a service that's supposed to be helping people self-custody their funds. Uh, unfortunately, the, the downside is not only is it closed source, so we don't know exactly how it works, but it requires giving over all of your identifying information and linking that directly to your Ledger account and Ledger usage. Um, but also, it means that now your seed phrase is not just on your hardware wallet, on your Ledger Nano X, but it's actually stored by three custodians, one of whom is Ledger, and the decryption key for the way that those shards are encrypted is also held by Ledger from everything that we can tell. So there are a ton of new attack angles. Funds could be stolen. Funds could be uh, taken, seized by governments by simply sending a subpoena to Ledger. There are a ton of new attack angles here. Um, so that was the spark for a lot of the craziness that happened last week. But it also just happened to coincide with a lot of things that we had going on. So maybe real quickly, kind of what's y'all's biggest takeaway over the last week in the space? And then we can dive a little bit more into the Ledger Recover drama. Yeah, I can I can kick it off and um, just, yeah, I think it was a fantastic summary, by the way, Seth. Um, the, there's a couple of things here that I think there's been a, a really wide awakening about. Um, the first and foremost is that, you know, because of the nature of the, the closed source software and the hardware that Ledger operates with, um, this uh, feature uh, could uh, have been included into their devices for a number of years and we would have no idea about that. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we will always stay true to our free and open source um uh, ethos and, and and in everything that we do, uh, but in both hardware and software, so that anybody uh, that has the know-how to do so can come and audit our code. They can audit our hardware, 
devices um, to to be sure that there's nothing untoward going on, you know, especially something as insidious as uh, sending your private key off the device, which is, you know, kind of the whole point of a hardware wallet is to keep your keys safe and secure. They're a single purpose device that uh, is designed to not be able to talk to any other devices and to keep your, your all important private keys uh, secure, which makes this whole business decision from them all the more um, puzzling um, so I think there's been a really wide awakening uh, and so the importance of open source software because people are going, well, hang on a minute, you know, if they've just pushed this release, then how do we know it's not been there in the first place? Or how's, how do we know that there isn't other things going on that's running on this device that we also have no idea about? So it appears that there's been a, a very quick uh, loss of uh, trust and faith uh, in them because of this decision, um, which I think is a personally good thing. And, you know, we had record uh, week at, at Foundation, and I know a lot of our um, competitors in the hardware wallet market also had their, their record weeks as well. So clearly the people are voting with their, their keys, so to speak, and they're moving to more open source alternatives where, you know, they're able to audit the code or at least be safe in the knowledge that even if they don't have the ability to audit the code, that it ultimately only takes one person to audit some open source code and raise a red flag for thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to learn that there's something insidious going on, uh, which is, again, just to re reiterate my, myself, you know, this is why we, we stay true to open source so that we do everything out in the open. Uh, there's no closed source and there's no uh, black boxes, you know, that, which is the way it should be when we're interacting with private key material. Yeah, I think the, the only thing I would add to that is about values and ethos. Um, one of the most surprising things to me about this ledger recover service was the idea of linking your seed words to your, you know, KYC identity requiring mm -hmm. that you go through a full KYC verification check and, you know, upload your, um, you know, identifying documents to ledger uh, and and the third party custodians, and that there is a direct link between your seed words and your KYC identity. You know, I always thought one of the beautiful things about the Bitcoin space is that your Bitcoin identity and your your private keys maybe can even help replace your fiat identity. You know, whether that's uh, I think there's so many ways that. You could do that maybe through paynims, for example, is a, is, a, is a cool way to, you know, receive funds in a more privacy preserving way. But the idea that like, if I want my money back, I have to now upload like a photo of my identifying or identity docs and, and my birthday and my social security number and, you know, all that kind of stuff and share that with multiple parties. And that's how I get my money back. And then also the idea that, you know, uh, a government could subpoena uh, the custodians with, with my name and, and they could, you know, uh, potentially even take custody of my money if it's done across, you know, two of the three custodians, that's just completely insane to me. I think that just goes against all the principles that I have, all the principles that I think the, the Bitcoin space has. And so that to me was, I think the most shocking part about this service, because, you know, everyone knows Ledger's closed source. Everyone knows it's kind of just like a black box. It's a, it's a trust me, you know, kind of security model, but such a heavy emphasis on the KYC side of things just shows that those principles of freedom, sovereignty, privacy, they don't really apply at like a corporate 
um, you know, values or, or ethos uh, perspective. Yeah, I think that's a, a big thing for me is it's like, I, I understand the use of identity as a way to unlock funds, but it brings so many painful headaches and so many risks when you're combining that with theoretically money that gives you self-sovereignty and that gives you freedom. Now, not only are you trusting your money with custodians, this isn't really, like I think that the pushing of this as a tool for self-custody is false because what this really means is that you now have secondary custodians for your funds that you're trusting. You also hold the keys on your ledger that you have in your closet or in your, your drawer or wherever, but you are really trusting a second custodian. It's not a self-custody tool or something that they're they're pushing to help with self-custody across the globe. Uh, it really kind of, it does highlight that, that vision and that ethos difference in that it's kind of the mass adoption at all costs problem that I think we see a lot in in the cryptocurrency space and somewhat in the Bitcoin space of just sacrificing on the the things that are necessary for this freedom movement to really work and for these tool, tools to really give us freedom uh, and sacrificing that for this aim of mass adoption when there are actually ways that we can improve things for mass adoption. But if we do that in the easiest way and in the, the pre-existing way that's already been a part of kind of the the fiat legacy system, uh, we introduce a ton of problems back into things. Yeah. And like, I get it. I am not a huge fan of seed words personally, because I think so many people make mistakes when backing them up. I think seed words are probably the number one thing uh, that's most responsible for hardware wallet users uh, to, you know, essentially lose their money, right? You get tricked into typing your seed words into some kind of, you know, web browser or, compromised software and then you know all your money is gone so like for someone like ledger i i get the appeal of trying to do something that's an alternate to seed words in the bitcoin space we've seen you know companies like casa propose and uh implement and ship different types of models like a seedless two of three multi-sig i think is a pretty uh interesting model uh that's gotten some traction i think there's other types of models you can do I just think that this specific model with the reliance on your, you know, KYC identity is, is, is kind of crazy. And Seth, as you're saying, I, I don't think it's self custody. It, it's like a shared custody with custodians. I, I don't know what's more risky. I mean, maybe you're better off having your funds on an exchange or I don't know how much there, of a difference there is to having your funds on a few exchanges um, in, in different you know, geographies, but I do think if they wanted to, they probably could have architected a service that did not rely on custodians. I think there's potential for things like social recovery, which has been talked about in the space for many years and little has been done from, you know, any, any company or, or project, mm -hmm. I think in terms of implementing that, I think there's, uh, to me, I don't think the, the, um, the sin was necessarily getting the seed off the device and, and, and splitting it up. I think that, you know, Trezor has shipped like a Shamir models already where, you know, you can, you can Shamir your seed on, you know, into like a, you know, two of three or whatever you want, you know, on the Trezor device and, you know, export it and share it with, with others if you want to. I mean, there's people who will encrypt their seeds and upload them and, and kind of trust that encryption. So I don't think the 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 big sin here is necessarily getting the seed off the device. I, I think it's more about you know the reliance on these these custodians and and KYC as opposed to doing something more privacy preserving, you know, more decentralized. 
Yeah, I think the the difficult bit with the situation that Ledger has painted themselves in by supporting so many different coins is that you know you you uh, rightly mentioned services like Casso and Unchained, where we where that operate on a Bitcoin standard, and um, you can do such things like shared multisig where you know you've got a helping hand but it's not you're still the sole custodian and you can build some really great ux around that um the issue with supporting you know hundreds of different coins is that there's no um there's no such thing as multi-sig on some of these coins so you're then painted down into the root of uh seed splitting which is clearly what they've done and and again as you correctly said zach you know uh the the implementation here is definitely not a favorable one on behalf of their users um and the other thing also is that it's worth remembering the the demographic of people that use a ledger generally speaking they're probably the first you know they're definitely the most well-known uh, and i'm sure they've probably sold the most devices probably more so than all of the other competitors put together but um so they they have to kind of make things you know turnkey or one click button to kind of make their general demographic be able to to leverage such a tool um and clearly they've made some quite significant trade-offs to try and achieve that in in terms of you know ultimately taking custody away from the user and um requesting egregious amounts of kyc as well so not a decision that uh you know i'm sure all three of us will agree with but um i can kind of see why they've took taken that approach with you know where they're at in in the in the market yeah, I just I think this is one of the biggest risks to Bitcoin though in the long term. I, I and I think something that we agonize over, you know, internally within foundation, right, is is the design UX versus uh privacy and sovereignty. I think it's always attention. And, you know, I think that it's very easy if you're willing to compromise on the sovereignty and especially if you're willing to compromise on the privacy side makes it much easier to implement services like this that are more user-friendly, right? Where you really can get set up quickly in a seedless way and back up your, you know, your, your private keys and not need to write anything down and so on. Um, I, I mean, I, I understand why, you know, Ledger has taken the step, but that's why I think it's so important that as a company in the space that you have, you have clear values and, and a clear mission statement. And that when you're making product decisions, you know, you go back to your, your values and say, does this product decision, you know, align with, you know, our values. And, you know, if we were trying to build a service like this internally, I mean, <laughs> the immediate answer would be no when it, when it comes to KYC and, and custodians and so on. And so I think we do have to start asking the question of, you know, when you're, when you're doing business with, with companies in the space, you know, are, do they, do they share my values or not? And, and are they good for, you know, Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption in the long term? I mean, if you, if you had a billion users on board with such a service, you would be able to have their, their names, their identity documents, their date of births, their, you know, uh, their, the amount of funds that they have stored on their devices. You'd have massive information about, you know, uh, cryptocurrency users all over the world. And you'd be able to potentially, you know, uh, restrict access to their funds or even seize their funds, you know, in uh, in certain scenarios, if you're able to, you know, get, uh, you know, go after multiple custodians in different jurisdictions with subpoenas. Uh, so that's crazy. <laughs> and and I and I think we, you know, we need to talk more about that. We need to write more about that and, and think more about that because, you know, uh, too much of this now is under the guise of self custody. When I don't think it's self custody if there's other parties that could, you know, uh, t- 
take your funds or even I think self custody is very much at risk. If you end up on a list somewhere with your name and your address and the amount of Bitcoin you hold, which unfortunately, you know, is the case with, uh, with ledger. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I, I mean, I, I was personally surprised by the pushback to the ledger cover situation. I, just because most of this has already been known about Ledger, I mean, everyone already knew that they're a they're a crypto company, not a Bitcoin company. That their their values don't really align with Bitcoin and Bitcoiners, and that they're closed source. But I, I'm I'm glad to see that this really woke a lot of people up to the dangers that are inherent in this, and the specific dangers in Ledger recover as a service, like we've we've covered. Uh, pretty at length here, um, but I, I was very much surprised to see the backlash being as strong as it was. Kind of, how, how did y'all gauge the the response that we saw in the the Bitcoin community around this? Yeah, I thought it was great to see. I mean, um, we're all guilty of having somewhat of a, an echo chamber in, in Twitter, and certainly the echo chamber that I subscribed to um, was almost unanimously uh, against this, with the exception of maybe one or two, you know, um, minority voices. Um, but clearly, the the level of pushback that that was heard uh, was definitely heard by the people that matter, and you know, i.e., Ledger, because um, just late last week they decided to briefly pause the uh, the rollout of this. Um, so clearly, they're at least having a single second thought about this to think, hang on a minute, you know, if if there's this many people kind of shouting about this and there's been this much pushback, maybe we do need to reconsider and maybe we do need to think if we can do this uh, in a more, you know, sovereign way or, or a more privacy preserving way. Um, but yeah, it remains to be seen how long that pause is for, if it's just, a, you know, another market employee to kind of, um, you know, let the heat die down before they continue with the rollout. Again, nobody knows. We're just going to have to wait and see how that unfolds but yeah i personally was uh, was very um glad to see the the level of pushback and you know it was vehemently sort of uh pushed back against and yeah love to see it yeah i mean me too of course i hope i hope what comes out of this is that people uh have a general generally better understanding of why open source is important and i think that um you know ledger's unwillingness to articulate exactly how the service works has really woken people up to the importance of knowing what's happening inside your, you know, your hardware wallet or even, or even your software wallet, right. And understanding why, you know, open source software and, and hardware is, is so important when you're storing, you know, your Bitcoin. Um, so I think Ledger has done the open source movement a big favor. I hope it's not a short term kind of, uh, kind of thing. I, I I hope that, you know, people will uh be more interested in, in the topic and that, you know, companies like us can can do a better job um, you know, with education. I think there's a there's a lot of a kind of barrier of entry to the concept of open source that's been broken down by this, which has been awesome to see. I mean I was I was really surprised because it really did get out of just kind of the Bitcoiner echo chamber. I mean the the thread that I put together that somehow ended up kind of being like the thread on ledger recover. It got a million views. It was way outside of the norm of, of anything that I've seen in, in my kind of echo chamber. So I think it was good to see that it did get out of that. And it, it sparked in people's minds, this concept of open source. What is it? Why, why does it matter? And it, it did something that I think is very hard to do otherwise, which is just get people thinking about it. 
an actual the education around it and the, the importance of it and the the full kind of scope of why open source matters and why the the movement as a whole matters will take time to set in for these people. But I, I think for for a lot of people, this is the first time they've ever had to think about open source versus closed source. Um, and so it's it's an awesome real awakening kind of like thankfully before people got burned by it uh, in the ledger scenario and that ledger recover wasn't live and in theory nothing bad has been happening to people's seed phrases yet um, so i think it was kind of a, a best case scenario where people got scared before something actually happened and and had to come face to face with the reality of, of open source versus closed source which has been pretty awesome and we we got to have lots of really good conversations in miami with people about the importance of open source and people who for the first time were like, oh, like what what is this? I'm hearing this discussion about like open source versus closed source and and why that matters. And a lot of people just hadn't at all been exposed to it before. So that's an awesome piece of this. And I'm I'm glad has taken off uh, is that people are actually thinking about that now. Um any last thoughts about the the ledger recover stuff before we move on here? I think we we covered all, all the base points. I know we've got uh, a lot of uh, foundation related news to cover off. So uh, let's uh, let's move on, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, like I mentioned at the top, we already had a crazy week planned uh, for the the week of the Bitcoin conference in Miami, no matter what. <laughs> so the the ledger recover stuff really just amplified that. Um, but first, let's let's chat a bit about Passport. Um, what one of the biggest things that we announced during the the Bitcoin conference was the price drop from two fifty nine to one ninety nine, uh, and that was a, a really big deal for us as we're, we're not normally we don't we don't do discounts we don't normally do like Black Friday sales or anything, we just kind of offer the best price pros- possible. But uh, this was obviously a big price drop. So, do you want to cue us in a little bit, Zach, on why we took that jump down from two fifty nine to one ninety nine, and and kind of what what you see as the advantages there moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the the short of it is that as we ramp up passport manufacturing, which we're doing now, we want to be able to pass uh, our cost savings, you know, onto our customers and our community. And so 199 uh, is, I think the price that, well, firstly, I think it's an amazing price point. I think it, it turns passport into an almost no brainer purchase, but we're able to achieve that because we're, you know, ramping up uh, production. Uh, additionally, we made a couple changes on the back end. We did have like a referral program. And so some people, when you bought passport, you were uh, getting $10 off and you were, um, you know, receiving uh, the, the person who referred you was receiving $10. So we had what I think was kind of like an unfair scenario where on some passport units, we were giving essentially $20 off. And then on some, we weren't. And that means that some people were paying full price. Some people, if you hunted around for a code or if someone referred you, you know, we're getting the discount and we've decided to make the official company policy, you know, no discounts, right? So uh, passport is never going to go on sale. You're never going to have to wait for a specific holiday. Like <laughs> the U S over the weekend was flooded with, you know, Memorial day weekend sales. So there's never going to be a, you know, holiday sale or anything like that on passport. If you're buying passport, you're going to get the, uh, the best price, which is 199. Additionally, I I'm really excited that passport is no longer the most expensive or more expensive option, uh, amongst the Bitcoin hardware wallets. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, and we're going to do a better job of explaining to people that, you know, we actually include in the box with passport, 
an industrial grade micro SD card, USB-C and lightning uh, adapters for the micro SD card. We include a USB-C cable for charging uh, and the device comes with an integrated user replaceable uh, lithium ion rechargeable battery. So when you, when you do the math and compare Passport to some of the competition for air gap devices, I think we're at just a really fantastic price point. And we include, um, you know, complimentary uh, shipping within the USA. So I'm really excited about the price. Obviously that plus the ledger news uh, really resonated with customers because we got sold out very fast uh, within like two days. And we, we thought we had inventory to last us uh, one to two months. <laughs> so it was, was a really amazing week, um, you know, about, about a week and a half ago. Yeah, that aspect of everything you need being included in the box as well has been one that, like you said, I, I don't think we've done a good job telling people that. And a lot of other options that you buy out there, you need other things to be able to use it properly or to get the full functionality. And that's one of the things that you just get out of the box with Passport, which makes sense. We don't sell the extra accessories. We're not trying to price gouge on those or anything like that. We want we want you to buy Passport and have everything you need for simple self-custody right there. Um, so I was super glad to see that. I mean, it does make it a lot easier of a recommendation for me for uh, kind of new Bitcoiners where it's 200 versus 260 is a little is a little bit of a big difference depending on how much Bitcoin you have. So um, it's really nice to be able to, to recommend that and it be not kind of the the fancy, super expensive option, but you can, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too now. So I was glad to have that price drop. Uh, and along with the price drop, we also released a, a big, big new update for Passport. Uh, the actual version number is 2.1, but we we pushed a lot of new features in that. Uh, and the the biggest one of those new features was something we called the Key Manager extension. Uh, and it it unlocked a whole new world of child seeds, Noster keys, uh, leveraged the existing encrypted microSD backups. But what are some of the the use cases and important things to keep in mind when we talk about this new key manager extension? Because there's really a lot to cover. We've written a blog post about it, but uh, I'd love to chat about it here because I think a lot of people are a little bit confused or don't understand kind of what the use cases are that this enables. Yeah, so speaking uh, personally, this has been my most long-awaited passport feature. So I'm super, super excited for this one to to finally uh, to finally land. So it almost became uh, a little bit of a of a meme amongst our more uh, hardcore or dedicated user base of uh, when BIP eighty five, which is uh, you know another terminology for for what we've dubbed the key manager. Uh, although we've added some extra pieces and UI around it, so we, we feel like it's much more than just BIP eighty five. Um, so to kind of start from the beginning, uh, when you set up a passport. Uh, you will allow the device to generate yourself uh, a private key, uh, which is represented to you in some seed words, which you can optionally save on a micro SD card in an encrypted fashion. That's kind of your master wallet. Uh, it's what you would use to sign transactions. And that's kind of the default way that all of our users would use that device. With the addition of the key manager now, um, we allow our users to generate multiple uh, seeds or what we call child seeds uh, that are derived from their master seed. So this allows them to populate uh, as many different wallets as they want to. And I'll cover off some of the common use cases in a second. Um, and this is all encompassed in a, a great UI that we've our design team uh, have done a fantastic job on. Um, and it's called the key manager. So uh, it's nestled within our extensions menu. So it's just a toggle, you can turn it on or off so, so that you can interact with it whenever you like. Um, and the key manager extension allows for the creation and export of, as I mentioned, BIP 85 defined uh, 12 or 24 word child seeds, um, as well as uh, 
deriving some NOSTA keys as well, which is, uh, for those that don't know, NOSTA is a uh, decentralized uh, means of communication, uh, the most common among which at the moment is is uh, sort of a, a Twitter replacement that's been very, very popular and, and gaining increasing popularity uh, amongst Bitcoiners as well. Um, the beauty of the key manager function on your passport is that all of these keys are generated in what we call a deterministic fashion from that master seed that you set up when you set up the device. Um, and what that means is that uh, the de deterministic nature of that means that um, you'll get the same output every time you do the same action, essentially. Um, and I'll explain why that's important in a second. Um, but ultimately, the key manager extension means that you can have a, a single backup. Again, that could be your 24 seed words, or uh, additionally, it could be your encrypted backup that's on the micro SD card, which forms again, part of the onboarding session. So you can have that single backup and have uh, generated from that potentially, you know, up to 20 different wallets if you wanted to, um, all represented by their own unique child seeds in, in terms of 12 or 24 words. Um, so why the hell might you want to do this? I can hear a few people saying. Um, so some of the common use cases is that you could generate a child seed to populate uh, a mobile wallet. So let's say one of the, you know, a user downloaded Blue Wallet or Envoy Our App or Samurai Wallet, and they didn't want to trust that app to um, generate the seed for them. They could use our key manager to generate a 12 or 24 word seed uh, derived again deterministically from their passport master seed. Um, and then populate whichever mobile app it is that they're using so that they can, um, number one, not have to trust the, the random number generator on their phone or wherever the, the, the wallet is running. Uh, and number two is that, and here's, here's the real kicker, is that if they uh, then lose access to that wallet, uh, they lock themselves out of it and they don't have a backup, all they need to do is go back to Passport, choose that key from the list, and they can re-derive that key and spit out the, the 12 or 24 words again, such that no funds are ever lost. Now, you could do that for uh, Blue Wallet, Envoy, Nunchuck, and you, you name it, any single wallet. It doesn't even have to be your own wallet. You could, uh, you know, if you're trying to orange peel friends and family, and you know for a fact that because they're so new, they're, um, you know, they're, they're probably not going to heed your warnings around, you know, the importance of these 12 or 24 words and that you must back them up. Now, if they completely ignore all of your warnings, um, all you need to do if they lose their wallet and they don't have a backup, again, is go back to your passport, click on their key number. And once again, you can label these keys. So if you, you know, if you generated your mom a key, uh, you can call it mom's mobile wallet key, uh, click, click export, and you can give her her seed words back again. And then, you know, reiterate the importance of backing them up this time, um, such that again, no funds are ever lost. And you can do that for any number of different friends and family. Obviously, that would be a trusted relationship, and you know we're not recommending that you go handing these keys out willy-nilly to people on the street. You know, this is, is still a trusted relationship, and you could derive, re-derive their key at any time. Um, and yet, and again, you can do the same with with your NOSTA private keys, which is a slightly more advanced topic at the moment, given how new the ecosystem is. But um, yeah, to to recap and to sum that all up, um, one master backup, potentially, you know, hundreds of different wallets and private keys, all securely backed up with a single seed phrase and or an encrypted backup that's stored securely on a micro SD card. Very, very well put. It's a, it's a lot to to digest at first glance, uh, but I think you, you covered it. You covered it really well there. And just that concept of being able to have all of your wallets. And I mean, for those of us who have been in Bitcoin for a while, the wallets that you use add up. And oftentimes you want to be trying out new wallets and testing out different things and actually securely backing up every one of the seed phrases that you use in those 
becomes a real nightmare. So being able to just have the one backup, have the one seed phrase, uh, I think especially with encrypted micro SD backups, because the the one kind of caveat is you can always recover funds, uh, even if you don't save the specific index of each key, because you can just try different indexes to get back different seeds. Uh, but with the standard seed phrase backups, you would need to then just go through the different indexes of zero, one, two, three, whatever, the all the keys that you've created and rediscover all those. It's deterministic, so you can always rediscover the same seeds, but it can be a little bit problematic in figuring out which one was which again. But the the beautiful thing with encrypted micro SD backups is once you have that encrypted micro SD backup, you store that securely, you store the the 20 digit pin code securely, and you can you can handle the encrypted micro SD backup a lot more freely because it is encrypted. It's not just a bare seed phrase. Uh, when you restore that, you get every key that you've ever created back with the names, with the right index, everything is back exactly how you had it, which is a, that combination is crazy, crazy powerful. Um, and for me, I think the the two biggest use cases are using now my single passport backup for my mixing wallet and Sparrow wallet. So I do all of my Samurai wallet mixing actually in Sparrow wallet on desktop. So now I can use a passport backed up seed phrase for that hot wallet which really simplifies the backups there because I don't need to worry about backing that one separately. Uh, I can then mix directly to Passport, just like I've always been able to do in Sparrow. And then for my parents, Bitcoin, I can now create a seed phrase and help them to secure those. Like you said, it's a trusted relationship, but I already have that trusted relationship for my parents where I help them to secure it. Uh, But now, again, it's one less secret that I have to back up, which... It's just, it's one of those things where there's so much peace of mind that comes with not having another secret that needs to be stored securely. Because do you really want to store all of your seed phrases in the same place? Do you want to store uh, all of them the same way? Do you want to stamp them on steel? It gets really costly and cumbersome to store all of those things. Um, so it's really, it's an awesome combo of not only all your mobile wallets on the go, securely backed up with Passport, but also you really embracing the Uncle Jim model where you can help out those people who who trust you, but who need some help when they're getting started with their journey. And hopefully they'll evolve long-term to be able to use their own seed phrase that they don't have to get give you and help you back up. But it's that initial step where that kind of like social recovery is immensely valuable. Uh, and it's something that that I will definitely use and then I'll, I'll recommend others to, to use where those relationships are already trusted. Because uh, it, it really does help simplify that that onboarding and, and give some more peace of mind to people who are new to Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, most people listening to this by the very nature that they're, they're on Bitcoin Twitter, listening to a Bitcoin uh, Twitter spaces uh, are going to be the quote unquote Uncle Jim for their family. And, you know, I feel like with this feature, we've really kind of uh, brought Uncle Jimming into the 21st century. So rather than having, you know, a notepad in your drawer with mom's seed and 24 words written down and then on the next seed, on the next page you've got you know your brother's name and then 24 seed words and you're hoping that that doesn't get lost or damaged or anything like that um like you correctly said Seth you know now all you need is a single encrypted micro SD card so you need to physically store that SD card and then store the 20 digit backup code you know uh, somewhere else somewhere in a different location could be in a password manager could be you know wherever you see fit that's a secure location and, and with those two pieces of information you could back up potentially you know hundreds of different sets of keys so yeah really brings it into the into the 21st century and, and really makes that UX uh, around it just so much more simple uh, the other bit that 
that I failed to mention around um, when you do use the key manager and you're generating these keys for the various different purposes around the, um, there's multiple different export formats as well. Um, obviously, the, the most obvious one will be, you know, Passport will display 12 or 24 words on screen and you can uh, manually type those in or write them down however you want to, you know, import them into uh, whichever wallet you're using depending on the purpose. Um, the other two, we've also got C two seed QR export options, uh, which is a standard um, of encoding your seed words into a QR code format. There's actually two different ways you can do it. Uh, one's called compact seed QR. Uh, called so because it's uh, in a compact format and then the other format is just called seed qr again that's i think that's the original uh, and it's slightly larger in size the standard was created by the seed signer team i believe so obviously um you can now use passport to uh, generate child seeds and then import them into a seed signer i believe jade jade wallet also uh, supports this standard uh, as well as sparrow wallet as well so if you uh, or any of your friends and family uh, are looking to use those wallets, then Passport can can uh, generate keys for those and export them in a QR code format um, in a couple of seconds. So again, really lowers the barrier to um, be able to export those seed words in a safe and secure manner and not have to kind of scribble down 24 words, which is can be quite time consuming, as I'm sure everybody listening to this is, can appreciate. Uh, and the final option, the final export option, should I say, uh, is obviously a micro SD card. So you can export the seed words in plain text onto an SD card and then pass them across to, let's say, your laptop if you're going to import those into a desktop uh piece of software um, so yeah we've we've kind of got all of the export options covered such that you're ready to optimize for whichever experience that you you want to get those seed words across from passport to wherever the the destination wallet is and one thing that we we didn't touch on either that's a another additional option that that matt one of our firmware devs uh mentioned on twitter is because of passphrases and the way that they interact with key manager being derived from your seed itself if you leverage passphrases, not only can you then do essentially infinite keys, because with each passphrase, you get 20 more keys that you can generate and, and store, but you can also do trustless setups for friends and family. So the way that it looks is when, let's say, my dad wanted to store his Bitcoin, but he doesn't trust me to keep the seed phrase and not steal his funds. The way that you can do that with key manager on Passport is that turn on Passport, you enter your PIN, uh, and then you go out and enter a passphrase in on the, the furthest right screen on Passport. When you enter that in, you get a whole new key manager extension with no keys generated. And you can generate keys. They all get backed up the same way. But they're only accessible when you enter that passphrase. So if my dad stores his passphrase securely, puts it in like a maybe a password manager like Bitwarden or something like that, as long as he has that passphrase, he can always recover his seed from me via my Passport once he enters the passphrase, or obviously he could give me that passphrase in an emergency so that I could enter it and get him the, the seed phrase, but it allows him to store his funds with my passport backup without actually trusting me because I have no way to recover those funds once the device is turned off because the, the passphrase is cleared immediately. So it's, a, it's another kind of more advanced way to use the key manager extension, um, but I think a, a pretty valuable one because it opens up a a trustless backup scenario. So I'm glad that, that Matt mentioned that because that's a kind of a key way that it can be used in addition to the, the kind of the default there. Yeah, very good call. Uh, the the other thing that um, you know I mentioned earlier about the deterministic nature of of how these child seeds are, are derived uh, in a repeatable fashion time after time from your master password seed. And again, as as you just mentioned, Seth, your passphrase if you use one. 
the the flip side to that if you try and go the other way so let's say you've got a child seed that you imported to blue wallet um and then that child seed somehow becomes compromised you know somebody steals your phone or reads the seed words over your shoulder or finds the manual backup that you made uh the the one-way function doesn't go back the other way so the child seed being compromised uh does not have uh does not pose any risk to the master passports on the seed on your passport and it also doesn't pose any risk to any other child seeds that you have generated for any other different purposes as well so once it's generated you can look at it as you know its own unique BIP39 seed that has no ties to any of the other seeds that are generated in the same fashion. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I, I did forget that as a very very key detail it's something that we mentioned in our blog post but we hadn't mentioned here. And I think it's especially useful to know when you're doing kind of the Uncle Jim setup where you're letting people keep their seed phrases in your key manager extension. Because like maybe you can't trust your grandma not to enter her seed phrase into Google or something. You don't have to worry about her doing that, exposing any of your funds. Like you said, there is no cryptographic way to reverse engineer your master seed from that. So it's it's a good protection, especially in that instance when someone who you know maybe won't be the best with keeping that seed phrase secret and secure, uh, has a seed phrase that's been generated. You don't have to worry about that linking back in any way to your master seed being linked on chain in any way to your transactions. There's, there's no link between those two, uh, which is a, a very important aspect of that. And one of the, one of the awesome things of, of BIP 39 and the way that it's laid out. Yeah. I think, uh, just to, to sign this, the whole key manager piece off, um, if, if any of the concepts or any, any of the things that we just talked about for the last sort of 15 minutes on this topic, uh, isn't quite hitting home for you, then, uh, last week we released a video on our YouTube channel and also on our Bitcoin TV that, uh, walks you through, you know, how to activate the key manager and how to generate the different types of keys, uh, and then populate those into different wallets via manually entering the C words or via scanning a QR code. We, you know, the example that we used was uh, exporting a, a seed via compact QR uh, over across to, to Sparrow Wallet as well. So um, if you're anything like me and you're a visual learner and you, you kind of have to see things happening in real time to kind of grok how they work, then uh, feel free to go and check out our YouTube. You can see that all of that happening live. Moving on to what may be considered the main event. I don't know. There's so many big things that have happened over the past couple of weeks. Uh, but a really big move for our company was that we jumped kind of with both feet into the software industry and that we launched Envoy as a full mobile wallet this week on the App Store and Play Store, uh, which previously it's been a standalone watch-only wallet for Passport and, and essentially a companion app for Passport. We've really made a huge shift and published it as a full mobile wallet this week. Um, so before we get too much into the nitty-gritty details of, of the how our approach is different from other mobile wallets in the space, uh, I'd love to just kind of hear from both of you what your thoughts are around why we wanted to push out Envoy as a mobile wallet and kind of branch out of just the, the cold storage space that we've been in uh, since the company was launched. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited uh, that Envoy is now a standalone software wallet. And yeah, I, I can I can definitely talk a little bit about the motivation, at least from my perspective, as to why it's so important. Um, the first is that I think most software wallets are a little too complicated for completely new users to Bitcoin that are trying out self-custody for the first time. Obviously, we think Passport as a hardware wallet offers a fantastic user experience, but for many people, it can be quite intimidating to take the first step to self-custody. 
And I think the first step often is trying out a hot wallet, right? An internet connected wallet. And I think the easiest way to do that is on mobile. And there's actually a lot of friction when you try to set up a mobile wallet. You know, you're, you're greeted with, um, you know, your, your usually 12 seed words on mobile to write down. There's usually terminology you don't necessarily understand. It can be difficult to make it easy to enable privacy features like Tor um, for like, a, like an average user or a new user by default. So we want to just make an ultra simplistic Zen-like Bitcoin mobile wallet experience that's, that is accessible to everyone, especially people that you know have their Bitcoin on Coinbase or other exchanges and have been afraid to take that first step towards self-custody. So I think that's a big one. Uh, from my perspective. Another one was also just allowing people to try out something from, you know, foundation before buying a passport. I think it can be difficult to say, go buy something for, you know, $200 on our website without any exposure to anything we make as a company. So it's great with Envoy, you can just download it from the app store and within a couple minutes you're up and running and, and you can actually test out what a, you know, a product made by foundation uh, is like. Um, and then, and then thirdly, I think it gives us a really fantastic, almost like a, a foundation, right? To launch new uh, products and features. Um, you know, right now Envoy, in addition to being a mobile companion app for Passport is now a standalone Bitcoin software wallet, but that's all it is. And we have a lot of uh, exciting features on the roadmap to bring to Envoy. And I think that, you know, this is just like the the very first step uh, for us on on the software wallet side. And and uh, we'll be the first of, of many steps um, over the next several months and, and beyond. Yeah, I think uh, an especially interesting one as well. I'm thrilled because it, it does make it a lot easier to recommend how people get started with Bitcoin. Uh, there have been other good kind of Bitcoin beginner friendly wallets, um, but I think they they have been lacking a bit, especially in the onboarding process, as you mentioned, the the user experience and and just the ability for us to take our design first approach to building a software wallet is really, really fun. And it's been awesome to see really every member of the team spending tons and tons of time looking through this, diving into the exact flows, exactly how every piece of it works. Uh, and we've all had input on how we can make this both as simple as possible, as powerful as possible behind the scenes without having to complicate things for users um, and really give people, I think, the the best kind of first user experience in Bitcoin. Um, and I think an especially interesting one for us is we have been this cold storage only company. Uh, and so obviously that's usually more of an advanced step. Like once you get first get started in Bitcoin, you don't usually start by buying a hardware wallet. That's usually not your first step. Uh, so it allows us to, to bring our principles to bring the the ethos that we have as a company to bring our privacy first perspective to to bring all of these things to bear earlier in people's bitcoin journey and help us to be able to 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 help bitcoiners earlier on which is a, a really really big thing and and a lot of the the pain points in bitcoin can be we can really get ahead of them we can break them down earlier if we can kind of insert good user experience good ui and good privacy practices early on in their experience. So I'm really excited for that. And I think just also from the concept of like getting keys off exchanges, Envoy enables that in a new way where maybe you're not comfortable, you have funds on an exchange, you're pretty advanced in Bitcoin, but you haven't ever done self-custody. I think it can be scary for a lot of people to immediately withdraw from 
an exchange withdraw all their Bitcoin to their cold storage before they're really comfortable with cold storage, before they're really comfortable with actually moving Bitcoin around themselves, for their really comfortable self-custody. So a good in-between is using Envoy as kind of the way that you test. Test withdrawals, see how they work, see how long it takes. Test sending transactions back and forth where Testnet is a really good fit for that with, uh, with Envoy on mobile and Passport can also do Testnet mode with Envoy. So you can send transactions back and forth between yourself, between Passport and Envoy. There's a lot of things that are unlocked now for actually learning how to use Bitcoin that we couldn't do previously, uh, which I'm really excited about. I'm really excited to to get more keys off an exchange and remove yet another barrier of entry to people, um, which is, has been a, a fun thing to, to dive in. Uh, so how did we really separate ourselves from the other mobile wallets? Um, so we touched on a little bit of the the why, but a big change that we implemented with Envoy is this, this thing that we're calling magic backups. Do you want to kind of uh, walk us through what separates Envoy from the rest of the pack and how magic backups work, QA? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the the TLDR here, the summary is that you can go from zero to your own self-custody wallet that is backed up securely in four taps after you've installed the application. Literally just four taps of your screen, you'll have your own Bitcoin wallet and it'll be securely backed up to your personal cloud, uh, which is a, a massive step change compared to you know some of the, the more common experiences where, like uh, Zach mentioned earlier, where you, you're forced to go through lots of different settings and to manually write down your seed words. And uh, contrary to Zach, I am a seed word maximalist. Um, however, there is a time and a place for them. And, you know, if you're trying to Uncle Jim somebody uh, who, you know, has just heard about Bitcoin, uh, that's they're not exactly the, the most magical experience to try and wrap your head around. <clears throat> so with our uh, magic backups, uh, what we're calling that is, yeah, it, it just allows you to set up a, a wallet super simple. So when you open Envoy, um, you'll have two options. You can manage Passport where you can connect, you know, use, use Envoy as a watch-only wallet, which is the functionality that we've always had since we released Envoy. Um, or you can choose Setup Envoy Wallet. After you choose Setup Envoy Wallet, the app will ask you how you would like to connect to the internet. Do you want to do that over Tor for increased privacy? Or do you want to do that with uh, what we're calling better performance, which is with Tor switched off, um, but obviously will be a far more stable connection. Uh, after you tap continue there, you'll be asked how you want to create a wallet. Now, we've also got our uh, more advanced users that want to elect to manage their seed words. At this point, they can choose to do that, at which point they'll be uh, either asked to import some seed words or to allow the app to generate some seed words and then show them to them, which again is the traditional way that you would set up a Bitcoin wallet. Um, or you can have the option to tap enable backups, which crucially here only applies to the Envoy wallet. Um, just want to clear that up so there's no confusion that these, these Envoy backups are just for your Envoy wallet and have no bearing on any connected passports at all. So this, the seed words are, will never ever leave your passport, your passport. So the, the features that I'm talking about now are just in, in relation to the Envoy mobile wallet. So once you tap enable magic backups, uh, the final screen or the fourth tap is just literally tapping create magic backup. Uh, and on this screen, uh, once you've got it in front of you, you'll have uh, a beautiful animation that shows you uh, how all of the information is stored, what goes where, what's encrypted. Well, essentially it's all encrypted um, and what it's stored and how it's protected. And I'm gonna cover that off in a second. So then you tap the fourth one, uh, Envoy creates your wallet. And um, after a brief second, it's all encrypted uh, and sent off to 
your personal cloud and your wallet is ready and you can transact. Literally in 15, 20 seconds, you've got your own wallet job done. So how are we achieving that? Um, so first and foremost, when you tap create wallet, uh, as with any other mobile wallet, Envoy will securely generate a seed on device um, and it will then uh, encrypt that and send that to your iCloud keychain, uh, which is Apple's end-to-end a storage solution so any passwords or secrets that are on your phone for any other apps uh, this is exactly the same method that we would store your envoy private key and then we would also create an encrypted file that contains any what we call wallet metadata so things like um, any labels that you would subsequently add any connected devices if you are a passport user um, any transaction labels and any account names all of that sort of stuff gets encrypted um, by your seed words locally on your device. And then after it's been encrypted, it'll be sent off to the foundation server with um, to be stored alongside a hash of your seed, which is used as the identifier. Um, and crucially, we, we did this and stored it with a hash of your seed such that we didn't need to collect any personal information on you whatsoever. So we don't want to know where you are in the world. We don't want to know your name. We don't want to know how much Bitcoin you have, et cetera, et cetera. We've architected this perfectly uh, sorry, purposefully, so that um, all the foundation has access to is an encrypted blob of data. Um, we don't have access to your seed words, obviously, because that is encrypted and stored in your personal cloud. Um, and I failed to mention that if you're a Google user, then that is sent to your Android Auto Backup, which is Google's version of the iCloud keychain. Again, end-to-end encrypted and encrypted at rest. Um, so there's a segregation of these secrets such that... Um, they both need to come together in terms of a recovery um, so that uh, once you've got hold of your seed, which is essentially just pulling that down from your cloud, i.e. just being logged into your iCloud keychain or to your Android Auto Backup, and everything just happens magically in the background and Envoy is able to combine those two pieces of information such that if you were to switch to a new iPhone or to a new Android phone, all you need to do is make sure that you're signed in, download the Envoy app, tap two buttons and your wallet is recovered. All of your metadata is there, all your account names are there, transaction labels, account details. Uh, so the app looks like you never left. Um, so that's where we get the magic name from because you can do this in just a couple of taps uh, and everything auto happens automatically such that you can have that magic onboarding experience. And then when you do progress uh, and you want to become a little bit more so self-sovereign and you maybe want to remove your dependence from Apple or Google, um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, we do allow users to download their seed words. They can take those offline. They can store them any which way they want as well so they don't have that sole dependence um, on the encryption that Apple or Google uses as well. So I hope I've done that justice, but uh, please chime in, guys, if, there's a, if I've missed anything off. Yeah, I think that's a great overview, Q&A. I think if I was to do a... TLDR on your summary, I would say that, you know, there's a, there's a couple great features for magic backups. One is you can get up and running in like 60 seconds. Uh, I actually did it with my mom yesterday <laughs> and it worked. Uh, and she was able to go through the entire flow herself, you know, get a self custodial Bitcoin mobile wallet that's automatically backed up for her in about a minute. Um, you know, one of the main inspirations for this magic backups feature was from learning a lot more about the Canadian truckers and, you know, the, uh, the movement to get Bitcoin donations into their hands. Um, and so this is something that I think every Canadian trucker could have done. They could have set themselves up in about a minute with a self custodied mobile wallet 
because it was too difficult, uh, the solution that ended up occurring was to give them all paper wallets, which I think was actually uh, not the best move. So number one here is the speed, about, about 60 seconds to get set up. Number two is that um, everything we're doing is end-to-end -end encrypted. You know, So we're leveraging iCloud Keychain or Android Auto Backup, which is end-to-end -end encrypted. And then what our server gets is encrypted by your seed. Uh, so we don't even know what we're storing. Um, and then three is the fact that there's no user accounts whatsoever. Uh, most of the other solutions in the space that do something like this require that you either create an email and password, you know, or that you um, share some details about, let's say, your Google account with the uh, with the company. Uh, we really did not want to do that, right? Because we don't want to know anything about our users. And so I think this solution we engineered was was pretty elegant. So, you know, 60 seconds, super fast, all end-to-end -end encrypted and no user accounts or any other kind of, you know, uh, personal data that you have to share. And the the two things that I'll just kind of restress that Q&A hit on, uh, but have been really the only major questions that we've run into so far with Magic Backups is that they are completely and totally optional, totally voluntary. They're, they're up to you. You do not have to opt into them. And for those of you who want to keep using your manual seed words, or maybe you have Passport and you want to use Key Manager for your seed phrase for Envoy, we absolutely have not forgotten that use case. And for, for those users who want to store their own seed word, we've actually put a lot of thought and effort into the actual seed word entry and verification flow so that they're, I think, a lot simpler and cleaner than other approaches as well. So it's, it's certainly not something where we've kind of forgotten about those of you who don't want to put in your reliance on Apple or Google, uh, we very much still support that and have made that as easy as possible. Um, but we understand that that process of those seed words is daunting for those initial users. So we wanted that option of these magic backups to make it a very, very simple, seamless onboarding experience. So not only is the whole use of magic backups optional, but just to reiterate something the Q&A said again, because there was some confusion around this with the Ledger Recover stuff happening around the same time, is that the Envoy magic backups are only for the, the mobile hot wallet that's in Envoy and have nothing to do with Passport. We cannot export your seed from Passport to Envoy and use it in magic backups. And we don't offer that functionality. We never would. And our code is open source. So you can verify that that, that can't happen. So. It's very much something where it does not have anything to do with Passport. Passport still uses either your normal seed phrase backup or your encrypted magic or your encrypted uh, <laughs> micro SD backups to to store your cold storage seed and funds. So they're two separate things, and for two separate use cases. I think often for two separate users as well, uh, and that I know that a lot of the people who are already Passport users are are often more of the the type who want to put no reliance on anyone else, uh, uh, but they want to be able to, to just use their own manual seed words. So definitely can still do that. Um, I guess third thing to stress as well is just that this is intent encrypted. So foundation and Apple and Google never get any visibility into anything that you're doing with magic backups. You never see your seed, never see your uh, the um, seed words, never see balance, anything like that. None of that comes with magic backups. And that's been a, a very specific focus for us because we are, are hugely, hugely aware of the need for privacy uh, and the need for not introducing more trusted third parties into this kind of solution. So definitely something where from the ground up, there was a, a big focus there. I think that, that about covers 
Envoy, any other kind of last second things that you all want to throw in Q&A or Zach before we, we jump into the last question? No, I think um, just to, to self-shill again that there's um, a couple of videos uh, walking through both the manual setup and the magic setup on a YouTube channel as well. So if you want to see how both of those work um, and what the, the benefits and use cases of, of taking either different option are, then uh, yeah, go ahead and check those out as well. Yeah, that's a great point. We've we've tried to make as much kind of content and resources around these big releases as possible to to cover all of our bases, but I know there were still questions around that there. Um, but for the last question I had for y'all, we've covered big news about Ledger. We've covered the big news with Passport, all the, the things that we've bundled in the latest update there. We've covered Envoy as a, a mobile wallet and magic backups. The last thing is really just that we just got back from the Bitcoin conference in Miami, uh, and we were able to have uh, about half of our team join us there. So for me, I, I just had an absolute blast. It was actually my first year jumping into the Bitcoin conference, uh, so I hadn't had any exposure to it before. Um, but I just have only positive things to say about the organizers. They did a fantastic job of actually working with us throughout the process of getting our booth set up and and getting there about selling Passport in their store. Uh, there was a, a lot of really good back and forth and thankful for the, the organizers there. Um, but also just so many fantastic conversations with like-minded Bitcoiners throughout. I mean, I we must have talked to 10,000 people at least uh, throughout the course of the, the three days of the conference. And that's always my favorite part is really getting to hear from people of all walks of life who love Bitcoin, who want to better understand how to use it, how it grants, grants freedom, what the tools are that that exist for it. Uh, and we kind of have so many fantastic conversations. One that I highlighted on Twitter, and then I'm going to throw it throw it to y'all for your your thoughts on the the conference was uh, that there was a, a 60 year old woman who came over. She she bought Passport with PayJoin, so she preserved her privacy and ours by paying with PayJoin on the spot with Bitcoin, uh, and just was just absolutely badass. So it's just awesome to see that it's not just kind of uh, my generation jumping in and, and adopting Bitcoin, but there's people from all walks of life, all countries across the globe, uh, all age ranges that see the need for Bitcoin, they understand the freedom that it brings, uh, and they're willing to learn the tools along the way. So it was awesome for me. I had a blast, but I'd love to hear more from, from you, Zach, especially. I know Q&A, unfortunately, you didn't get to join us there, so you may not have too much to add here. But Zach, what were your thoughts on how kind of the, the Bitcoin conference went in Miami? I thought it was great. I thought it was much more focused on Bitcoin this year, <laughs> which is uh, which is always a plus. And um, one of my couple of my favorite things were one being able to demo Passport and Envoy. I love doing those kinds of demos and just speaking with everyone who comes up to the booth. Uh, but two that we got to sell in person for the first time, and that um, a large percentage of our sales were actually uh, in Bitcoin as well. We had our own self-hosted uh, BTC Pay. Uh, point of sale system there on, on an iPad running and we're able to, you know, uh, take both on chain and lightning. And it was just awesome being able to, you know, see people use Bitcoin on our self-hosted, you know, infra to, uh, to buy a passport. Yeah. I think I don't have the exact numbers, but I think probably about 20%, 25% of people who bought passport used Bitcoin while we were there, uh, which was pretty damn awesome. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, well, it was definitely cool, and I'm glad that we we finally have stock in person to be able to to do these things, uh, which have been have been fantastic at this conference and throughout the year. The other conferences we're attending, we're planning on doing the same thing. So, uh, as I've harped on on Twitter, but that's really 
the best way to buy a hardware wallet. You don't have to give a shipping address. You don't have to give out a credit card or anything like that. You can pay with cash, pay with uh, Bitcoin, pay with Lightning, and get a hardware wallet over the counter with no details about you ever tied to that purchase, which is a, a huge, huge piece of using a hardware wallet is if you can preserving your privacy so that there's no link there. Obviously, if you do purchase with us online, uh, we protect that data uh, immensely. And we also delete it as soon as we possibly can after shipping so that we don't have any any dependency on, on keeping that data safe long term. But uh, it's definitely one of those things we're buying at a conference is really the best way to do it. So I'd recommend if you're going to be at another kind of one of the bigger conferences going on the rest of the year, uh, shoot us a message, we'd be happy to, to chat with you on if we'll be there and, and be selling them in person. Um, one quick update before we jump into uh, a user question that we have on Telegram uh, is just that because of what Zach mentioned when we when this Ledger Recover stuff happened, we saw a massive rush to safety in free and open source software and hardware. And with that came a ton of people coming and jumping on the, the passport train and, and appreciating the work that's gone into it and appreciating how it simplifies their Bitcoin journey. Uh, we sold out all of our inventory for one to two months over the span of like 36 hours. Um, so with that, our, our aim for shipping out new passports uh, is I think about two to four weeks now, Zach. Feel free to correct me if I'm off there. Um, but we're, we're working hard to uh, use the ramped up production that we already had in place uh, to go ahead and ship out the orders that have come in in the meantime. Yeah, technically, I would say three to five. I updated the website today, but, you know, uh, should probably be about three weeks. Awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that, that anybody who's listening knows that the we are out of stock, but but working hard to get those. And we were already ramping up production before this, but obviously didn't expect such a, a crazy rush of, of sales. So good problem to have. Now, one quick question from Telegram, and I think we'll be uh, we'll be wrapping up for today because I don't see any questions on Twitter. Um, is from Blockchain Boog, and he said, "Question: When using Key Manager, how do you generate an address to send Bitcoin to without uploading the seed to a mobile or warm wallet?" Um, Q and A, you want to answer this one? Dive into a little bit how that works, that we can connect passport and connect seed phrases to or connect passport to wallets without exposing the private keys yeah definitely so i think uh, i think his question is more around um sending directly to a child seed um address without sort of having to connect that to, to envoy or to to you know whichever software wallet that is uh so the short answer is right now you can't uh, you would need to connect that to a wallet software that is able to then generate the addresses for you however there's uh, a couple of features um, that we've got in the relatively short-term pipeline for Passport um, in terms of ephemeral seeds um, and also in terms of uh, some, you know, an address list or an address explorer. Um, so I don't see why we couldn't leverage uh, both of these in a way that um, you could sort of temporarily load one of your child seeds um, as kind of the, the the temporary master seed for the time that the device is switched on um, and then leverage the address explorer if and when we do finally uh, are able to implement that in a, in a way that, that, that we're happy with, then I think that would probably be the solution. Not making any you know, hard and fast promises or being able to give any timelines here, but um, your solution, you know, that would be the obvious solution that springs to my mind um, right now. Um, but uh, yeah, clearly we, we need to put some thought around uh, how we would 
be able to do that um, first and foremost in a secure way, uh, but obviously in a way that fits with our design principles as well, such that we're not going to completely baffle people or have them send it to the wrong address or to the wrong seed as well. So we just want to uh, put some careful thought to that. But uh, yeah, we think that you, the, the use case that you mentioned is absolutely valid um, and I don't see why it wouldn't be possible in the not too distant future. Yeah, it's a really interesting one that I, I hadn't really considered, but being able to send to that, especially in like the, I mean, really in any of the scenarios is is helpful. So it'd be cool to do that. I think that the hard part is obviously Passport can't understand what addresses are used or not because it's an air gap device. So it's hard to yeah, actually do the addresses on the device. Um, but connecting it in an ephemeral way would be pretty, be pretty interesting uh, as well. And just one little note to add. So normally, if you're using Passport itself, Passport accounts, not the child seeds from Key Manager, you can connect Passport with mobile wallets or desktop wallets by exporting the public key, not the private key, so that you can derive addresses, uh, view funds, etc., without exposing that. Um, but like like you and I mentioned, you can't do that directly with the child seed and Key Manager um, because it's it's handled differently there. So that's definitely something interesting to explore, uh, and I'm curious if ephemeral, ephemeral seeds can work with that specifically. Uh, that'd be be pretty fun. So we'll definitely explore that. Any last thoughts here, Q&A or Zach, before we wrap up? No, this was a real fun one. Uh, and, you know, great to give uh, everybody listening a bit of an insight as to how crazy the last uh, three to four weeks has, has been for us. Um, not that we're complaining, you know, it's it's been uh, it's been a wild ride and uh, doesn't show any signs of slowing down either. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, to the future. Same here. It's fun to uh, talk about everything we're, we're working on. Um, can't wait to uh, share all our future things over the next uh, few months and beyond. Yeah, there was a, a nice subtle tease at the end of our, our Envoy blog post about kind of what this unlocks for us. So super excited. Uh, the ability to have a hot wallet just opens up so many doors to to other Bitcoin tools and and features that we can explore. So really excited to jump into that as well. And uh, yeah, a lot a lot more coming, a lot of fun stuff coming the rest of the year from, from our team. So thanks for jumping on Q&A. Thanks for jumping on, Zach. Good to chat with you again here uh, and good to cover all the, the crazy things that have been happening in the space. Thank you all. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks for jumping in for this episode of Journey to Sovereignty, and I hope you'll join us for our next live Twitter space every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. GMT. Joining us live gives you a chance to listen in, participate, and get your questions answered on the spot. Follow us at FoundationDVCS on Twitter to keep up with the latest news, get notifications when we go live, and much more. See you at the next one, and thanks for joining us on the Journey to Sovereignty. Sovereignty.